Vongcast, the most heretical podcast about the New Jedi Order. I'm your host, Bria, and with me are my co-hosts, Megan and Rocky. This month, we'll be talking about Enemy Lines 2, Rebel Stand by Aaron Alston, in which Wes Jansen hits on a nine-year-old. Luke Skywalker accidentally gets naked. Tahiri tells the best bedtime stories. And oh yeah, the New Republic basically wins a pretty significant victory by losing or something like that. So grab your villip and enjoy the show. And hey guys, welcome back to the Vongcast, where we are tired and have feelings. This is possibly everything you really need to know about us. So I feel like there's a joke about winning by losing in there too somewhere. There totally is. There Probably. should be. I don't think I've thought of it though, because again, wrote these while on a plane, but I also tried to make the intro as ridiculous as possible because why not? Because this is Vongcast, and if it's not ridiculous, what are we even doing with our lives? And it's an Aaron Alston novel. I mean, nothing I said was technically incorrect. <laughs> oh no, it was all entirely correct. Which just makes it. Oh, Aaron. Aaron Alston. Okay. So, uh, as a reminder, here on the Vongcast, we don't talk about spoilers for future books in the series, but we do go through today's book pretty thoroughly. So if you haven't read it already, uh, sorry, I think I spelled it for you in the intro. But anyways, pause the recording, read the book, and then come back and join us. And honestly, why have you not read the book yet if you're listening to this? I just, I don't know. Okay. Is it summary time? Yes. Let me I get want my you popcorn. To- I want you guys to know I was very tempted. I almost flipped the book over again while sitting on the plane with nothing else to do to read the summary. And then I went, no, I have to preserve the integrity of this moment. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad the one thing we're not spoiled on is the back of the book copy. (laughs) It's very important, Megan. It is. Okay. You know what? I'm going to read the top little blurb, too, because I like this. It says Palpatine in it. (laughs) Not since Emperor Palpatine had the Jedi battled such monstrous evil. Unless it succeed against staggering odds, the galaxy is doomed. Luke Skywalker's daring mission to halt the Yuuzhan Vong's nefarious plot to overthrow the New Republic is struggling on all fronts, and time is slipping away for Han and Leia Organa Solo, trapped on a small planet whose rulers are about to yield to Yuuzhan Vong pressure to give up the Jedi rebels. On Coruscant, Luke and Mara Jade Skywalker have made a shocking discovery that is preventing the Yuuzhan Vong from exerting complete control. But when the enemy tracks them down, Luke and Mara are thrust into a fierce battle for their lives. Suddenly, the chances of escaping appear nearly impossible. And in space, no one can hear you scream. No, that's not how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) And in space, another battle rages, one that holds ominous... Ominous... (laughs) ominous consequences for the New Republic and for the Jedi themselves. Dun, dun, dun. That's a really good word. Ominous should be a word. Ominous. I'm pretty sure that it's a Yuuzhan title, right? Right. Yes, more ominous. Exactly. I feel like they would be very honored by it. It's true. It would work. I also very much like the specification of in space. Totally. (laughs) so i was reading this book at work i often read during lunch and i often have a like a big enough like purse that i can put a book in it 
but the last couple days I've been using a smaller bag, so I've just been carrying the book. And the thought has definitely occurred to me that someone, a business person, is going to see me, ostensibly a business person, carrying around a book that says Emperor Palpatine on it. And what does this mean? And I just decided to have no shame about this. So thanks to the back of this book for encouraging me to have less shame or something. I have zero shame about carrying around a Star Wars book. I also have zero shame. I also work with a bunch of weird nerds, and it's never a complete day until I've made at least one Star Wars reference. Well, that was part of the the reasoning was that, like, it's not like these people don't know I'm a Star Wars nerd, so where's the harm? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, I literally have a set of Inferno Squad armor sitting in the corner of my office at work. I would really like my own office someday, (laughs) at least partially because the amount of random nerdy things that I would be able to sneak into it. (laughs) Oh, there's no sneaking going on in mine. There's just, it's just there. (laughs) They all know. Huh? Yeah. There's also a bust of a HK 47, but that is a totally different tangent. So I think you guys should tell me what your initial thoughts were of the book. Just because I can tell you that you should tell me what your initial thoughts of the book are. Okay, your ominence. <laughs> um, the, I mean, I I found this book to be a little bit slow, um, like the previous one. Uh, the one-liners were not quite enough to make up for the weird meandering plot. But it also has some really great moments like the aforementioned Luke stuff and Tahiri stuff. So it was, it was... Not my favorite, but it was fun. Rocky. So, yes, it was slow starting. It was particularly, like, as I was first reading this, I was wondering, wow, I don't remember this all being so slow going, especially at first. But once it gets going, it does get going fairly well. And also, Oogleth Masker is my favorite new insult for people. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Also, Han and Leia, they are such a cute couple. <laughs> In this book, it's like, oh, look, this is how they are actually, like, still married and still stuck together after this long. They are yeah. super compatible, and it's so cute, and it warms my little heart. <laughs> it was nice to see them firing on all cylinders as a couple again. Mm-hmm. And as human beings, because that's yes. been a bit of a struggle for both of them. Absolutely. Uh, I think I liked the book more than both of you. But I also think I'm way more of an Aaron Alston fan than anyone else in this podcast. Not that you guys aren't Aaron fans, but my Alston fandom just tattooed it across my body. It is like on a different level than <laughs> than like. <laughs> yes. Okay, this this will be me with like Trader next week or next month when you guys yes. are both. Ah, yeah, oh love my gosh, it. I love it too. But we also, we'll be running around losing our minds next month. So, <laughs> but no, I mean it. I like the book because it's fun and it's always nice when Star Wars feels fun and it's weird. There's a lot going on, but I also really love it when a book can actually make me honest to God laugh out loud like this one does, which, by the way, not the best thing for a book to do when you're sitting on a plane next to total strangers. But we're just going to roll with it. I'm never going to see those people again. They don't have to know. It's fine. Um, Now it's my turn to say have no shame. I am shameless. Look, I'm, I'm, 
I'm pretty sure I've ended up like crying from reading on a plane before, so I also have no shame. <laughs> but yeah. Uh but yeah, I just stand by what I said last episode though, that the duology feels like it's supposed to be one big book more than anything else. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I got on that one. All right, shall we start? I think I went through show notes with Oh my god, who ended who added that in? Um Which part? <laughs> The one yeah. about the scent of a planet. Um, that was me. Of course it was you. I, I should have known that. Uh, let's go through by location. I think that's the easiest way to do it. Let's start with Coruscant, which, according to Rocky, we really, really, really don't want to know what it smells like. Look, Luke makes that point fairly early in the book. Where, like, I feel like this was within like chapter one, that somewhere in there we can tell pretty clearly we don't want to know what Coruscant smells like at all. I'm guessing it's bad. Like, really bad. I also don't want to wear the fake Yuzen Vong armor that the Wraiths and all the Jedi had to wear. So, about that. One, yes. of, the, <laughs> one of the funniest parts about this, to me, was that there's this mix of, like, this armor is gross, and especially if you're wearing the real stuff, it's really gross, and it's uncomfortable, and we're doing it because we have to. But also there are these occasional moments where they're like, it's really dashing, though. Like, it's very <laughs> flattering exoskeleton. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you gotta make up your mind whether this is hot or not. <laughs> like, <laughs> Listen, face Lauren can make anything work, okay? <laughs> That's valid. <laughs> when you're a child star, you can pull off anything. So, it's Luke, Mara, and Tahiri, and Wraith Squadron. And I think Tahiri is the adult here? Yes, I'm I'm definitely pretty sure Tahiri is about the most adult. Not that that's a high bar, but... I mean, Mara's also an adult, but mostly Tahiri in this. So, do you want to talk about the Jedi first or the Wraiths? Or all? All. Okay. It's... Oh, come on. You cannot really talk about one without the other in there. That's true. They're actually a surprisingly good team altogether. It, I feel like this is kind of an important mission for Tahiri, especially. It's almost like she's endlessly useful on this mission. Someone who speaks the language has a good understanding of what kinds of enemies they're encountering. And she keeps again and again having to remind them that she might be a tiny child, but she is endlessly useful. And even with all of their technology, they really do need Tahiri or somebody else who's familiar with the Yuzhan in order to get through this. She's definitely the most serious out of that entire group combined. Yeah, I really liked that we could see her progress from everything that's happened to her so far in this series. Yeah, as you wrote, even though we don't actually see inside her head, we have all these examples of how her two kind of memory sets are integrating in a way that they never have before, and she's finding that what was done to her can be an asset as well as something horrible. And I loved some of the images of just, like, how powerful she was in this book. Um, There's something just so, like, primal and also ridiculous about her and, like, the whirlwind at the end. And how she kind of, she was the one that could thrive the most on this planet. Because just like Coruscant, she is now Vong-formed, right? So this is the perfect place for her that's caught between one of those cultures and the other. 
It's use and vong formed. Come on, Megan. Oh, I apologize. That was rude. <laughs> totally. <laughs> was it in this book or was it the previous one where Luke has that thought about how it wasn't appropriate to wear the real crab armor because he had a, a fake hand? Oh, yes, that was the previous, the previous one. It was? Okay. Yeah. I still think it's a really good thought to have. And it's it such is. a very Luke sort of thought to have. I wonder if Leia would also find using that armor to be sort of distasteful because she was careful to say, like, we have to respect our enemy to a point, even though they are our enemy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is the sort of book, and this is sort of mission, really, that wouldn't have worked as well as it did if you didn't have the contrast of the Jedi with a team like the Wraiths. Like, if it was just a boring old commando team it this this would have been stupid this would have been completely pointless um especially because you see that humor to luke that i feel like we haven't always gotten in this series mm-hmm. yeah i agree there was a bit more lightness to his character i also liked that uh aaron alston shows the connection between luke and mara in this one um i found that they were uh, convincing in the way they kind of leaned on each other more so than in other books in the series. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it's nice to see. Actually, this, between them, between Luke and Mara and then Han and Leia, I like that we get to see functional couples in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Skywalkers yeah. are allowed to be happy-ish. This <laughs> book has my Night favorite... Times. Mara moment where she sings the creepy lullaby. (laughs) (laughs) That's the most perfect Mara thing. Oh my gosh. If there was a trailer for this series, it would be set to a creepy minor key version of a lullaby sung by Mara. I feel like that kind of sums up the series. Actually, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I love that she just leans into it. She's just like, yeah. I was the Emperor's hand, and yeah, I can probably beat you all with my pinky. I yes. know I'm, I know I can be terrifying. Let's just have fun with it. And the race are just like, yes, horrifying. We love it. It's <laughs> everyone's everyone's like tragic backstory in a way actually almost makes them more useful in this. And there's so many aspects. tragic there's so many tragic backstories on Coruscant. This could be like an entire category of New Jedi Order Jeopardy. Or like a whole bingo card. (laughs) So where is going to be one more idea that I have that seems like a good idea at the time and turns into like a giant Google Doc of vague ideas compiled by someone more organized than I? (laughs) We're going to get to that part later. Yeah, that's later. (laughs) That's later. Where does the eight foot tall Frankenstein with lightsabers coming out of his body go on the bingo card is that a square oh gosh. boy i don't even know <laughs> thanks phantom uh yeah i am <laughs> i did not like it no i remember in my first read of this book like a long long time ago when i was like tahiri age or younger yeah definitely younger um my thought was you know this reminds me a lot of the jedi academy trilogy I had that thought again in this reread. <laughs> Funny how that thought ages a bit. 
Dark when I was saber? younger, it was definitely a case of like, well, this isn't any weirder than anything else in Star Wars. It's a weird place. But the older I get, the more this sticks out like a sore thumb as just kind of a tangent that doesn't really feel like the rest. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Lord Nyax is just weird and it's weird and I don't get it and I don't know why it was in here or why Aaron Alston loves going, hmm, I'm going to take that thing from the Bantam era and I'm going to use it again, even though you never thought you'd see it. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't, I think because my Race Squadron fandom runs so deep, it doesn't bother me because it's sort of like, I guess it's sort of the opposite that it's not about the where you're going on the journey it's about the journey mm-hmm. sort of thing um like i don't or no i guess it's not the opposite but like i don't really care about what the big bad thing they're dealing with on coruscant is i'm really just here for everything going on between the jedi and the wraiths and all the banter back and forth and how they deal with it, it doesn't really matter what they're dealing with in this situation yeah if that makes um- sense there were definitely times when I totally forgot about the Nyax part because that was just so weird. And I was instead focusing on all the banter and shenanigans and misadventures going on. Yeah. Do we want to talk I... about those misadventures, actually? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Should we start with accidentally naked Luke? <laughs> that is I, I the elephant that, in the room, I isn't it? that particular like, section several times over and just kept on sitting here giggling the whole time. (laughs) Also so weird, because that scene starts with a vat of life forms that convinces he is not a life form. And something about that just seems like it shouldn't follow, but it's the force, so I guess it does. He just tells him he's not food. He's not food, and yes, he didn't you also have to tell say it. That your clothes are not. Food. Yes. Well, there was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I guess even the force has loopholes, or big tanks of goo have loopholes. I don't <laughs> you know. Just, you <laughs> forgot to tell it that his clothes were not food, and and people like certain uh, uh, Luke Skywalker fans were very happy, and poor Tahiri was probably scarred for life. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Yeah, I I love that scene cracks me up though because again, this is some this is one of those scenes that I can't see happening with a Luke Skywalker around that age in canon. Like this is part of why I think I'll always come back to Legends is you can have Mara J just being like, you know, face just snickering in the corner. Mara being like, uh, Luke, out of respect for those of us you're not married to, maybe check your clothing situation. <laughs> and he just looks down and is like, oh. Oh. It's good. I love all of these ridiculous, lighthearted moments in what I feel like otherwise would just be a long, dragging book. Yeah. And that's the hallmark of the Wraiths, I think, because Mm -hmm. they will look at a problem and see your box and just be like, your box is stupid. We're going to go with something completely different. Um, and that's just part of their charm and that, uh, I don't know who, who wrote this last bullet point on there? Cause I think you're right, but I'll let you explain it. Yeah. Okay. That was, again, that was me. And I keep on, 
I keep forgetting that this isn't in the distinctive purple pen that I'm always using for all my stuff at work so people know who it is. But yeah, I feel like I feel like this mission would like this whole book in general would not have worked very well without that sense of humor. And it does feel like with the wraiths and to some extent Luke and Mara and Tahiri some of the humor is a coping mechanism because uh long forming Coruscant is probably a truly terrifying place as well as Luke and Mara are separated from Ben and Tahiri is still trying to process and deal with a lot of grief and without that sense of humor I feel like this just wouldn't really work very well and the coping mechanism in it well what else are you going to do when you're on a long forming planet and everything is ruined forever laugh at it what else are you going to do? Come on. <laughs> we also see that with Wedge. She was not part of that team, but uses a lot of dark humor, especially toward the end of the book. Yeah. Well, he was a wraith for a little bit. He was a founding wraith. So it makes sense. They rubbed off on him. But yeah, I mean, and then adding to that, like even some of the, a lot of the wraiths are going through stuff too. Like, um, can't remember if I talked about this last episode or not, but a while after this book came out, Aaron Alston was like, yeah, so not only is Kel's wife and son, like, are they traveling the galaxy somewhere else? And he probably doesn't know where they are, but they also send their daughter to a different planet, to Tyria's home world, to make sure, like, the entire family doesn't die all in one go. And then you know that there's other people in Ray Squadron who aren't either on Coruscant or helping out with the goddess ploy. They're somewhere else. And you're just, Yeah. 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 So, uh, Bria, as our Wraith expert, yes. one of the characters I was interested in is Baljos Arnjak, who mm-hmm. is the expert on Yusan Vong society. And I kind of liked him because I like academic types and because he actually ends up staying on Coruscant, um, mm-hmm. which is just kind of a briefly mentioned, but I thought, like, that's got to be a big decision for someone and that his, like, knowledge he's he wants knowledge about the place is like stronger than the urge to flee to safety and like i love that type of character but i didn't remember whether this was a character that had history or like had ever appeared before so what what's his story uh i think he was new for this book okay i I don't think he was in another legends book before um from the list of of dramatis personae it's only it's Face, Kel, Alasar, and Piggy who are the the uh, the legacy wraiths that we okay. see going around this book. Yeah. So of um, course I like the super obscure character. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't remember if he actually even comes back in Mercy Kill or not. Well, we'll have to find out when we do our Mercy Kill read. We will. That will just be me crying for an hour and a half. It'll be great. Everything's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's also going to be traitor, so it's, yes. right. it's normal yes. around here. Who doesn't yep. cry? Who I mean, doesn't be cry? crying and or lying on the ground yelling about obscure philosophy. I don't know. <laughs> this, is why, this is why I started the episode with, we're tired and we have feelings. It's I accurate. Mean, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the other thing, uh, the other part of the whole Coruscant thing is Vicky Shesh, who, I forgot this is where she dies. I forgot <laughs> how I... she died. Yeah, so I-, I remembered how she died, but not 
that like raw line of dialogue she has that's basically the only thing that can kill me is me which yeah. is a pretty uh it's a pretty good last sentence even if it's very very dark it is yeah. so very vicky though it is I, I could not imagine somebody else actually succeeding at killing her because it feels almost very Shakespearean in a way. Yeah. For lack of a better way to put it. Wow. I can't believe I said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, then you have the wraiths who just trolled the crap out of her. Like, yes! she, it's not even that to me that someone else couldn't, no one could kill Vicky, but Vicky, it's that. Not everyone wants to go through the effort of killing Vicky Shesh. It's squadron would <laughs> rather too be like, much work. Would would rather go through extra effort to troll her and like make her cry than actually kill her. Yeah. <laughs> the little note they leave, Senator Sesh, we thought you would probably need these more than we do. Don't eat them all in one place. Love the wraiths. And all it needs is like an XOXO on it. <laughs> Yes, it is so terrible. And when I read that, I was just, I was just laughing at that for being so, so terrible. Oh, Vicky. Um, so yeah. So was there anything either of you guys, uh, who are more Yuzeni Vongi enthusiasts than me, would like to add about the Yuzen Vong forming of Coruscant and like what the sort of planet that we saw here was in contrast Ooh. to how it was? So I, definitely... I know I, I actually had a note somewhere in amongst all of my really tough to read handwritten notes in which, oh yes, the scientists notice that somehow the Yuzhanbong have managed to alter Coruscant's orbit just enough. It's just a tiny bit closer to its sun. And that's when, like the moment that they realize, even if we are able to take Coruscant back, we cannot this is not a quick fix kind of project. They've done serious, possibly unfixable changes to the whole planet. And just kind of, it hits everyone just how spectacular the Vong forming really is. And this mm-hmm. is not, this may actually not be fixable at all. And their mission might be totally different than what they thought. There's beauty to some of it, even though it's also terrible. There isn't as much description now as there will be in the future, but the visions of, like, ivy crawling over buildings and these weird fungal things and the land, the kind of... It's not that nature is retaking the city, because this kind of nature never existed on that planet before, but there is that feeling of something natural coming in where something unnatural was before in a positive light. And I'm not to be too much of a Yusan Bong apologist, but <laughs> some of it sounds quite pretty and soothing <laughs> when it's not, you know trying to eat you or to secrete things that eat through concrete or etc. Yeah, it really gives me images from, oh, there is a history channel show, Life After People. Like some of of the ridiculous photoshops of like overgrown cities and things like that. And it gives me serious mental images of that, which is both like kind of creepy and unsettling and absolutely gorgeous at the same time. 
The only other thing I have to add about Yusan Vong philosophy kind of in this section is also related to Tahiri, where she says, pain drowns other people, I just swim in it, which I thought was pretty glorious and was a really great example of her being able to kind of, she was the plot twist, like she was the the key all along to how to defeat Nyax because she had been like brainwashed before and the kind of brainwashing that he was doing the kind of influencing he was doing was designed to hurt citizens of that galaxy and therefore it just didn't work on her and I thought that was kind of great it's that line really hit me hard in rereads of of this book because it's like wow whether emotional physical pain whatever it's that's a pretty bold statement to make saying by the way pain drowns other people i just swim in it i feel like it really reflects well a lot of tahiri's character development throughout this book and that she's starting to find some peace between tahiri and the yuzhan side of her I feel like the comment I want to make is spoilery for future books about Tahiri's journey. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to have mm. to have another spoiler episode. Normally, I'm the one dancing around the mm. background trying not to say something spoilery. I think especially in this case, it's much more pleasant to focus on the present. Yeah. Yes. It, yeah, but... <sighs> I just have questions about how, what sort of coordination happened and how much. I think we Alston need another knew. spoiler episode by the mm. end of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll yeah. be good. I'll be There's good. Also, something we could keep in mind for the future is to question how much this was the culmination of Tahiri's arc and whether that means things later on feel less connected. Hmm. I don't think it is. And because... I, to, to clarify, I mean mostly in the New Jedi Order, not necessarily in the oh, series no, no, no. beyond that. Everything else past the New Jedi Order is, I, I don't acknowledge it. Um, <laughs> not, not, no, but are you saying like this book is the culmination of her arc? I think it's the culmination of a an arc. Okay. I don't remember where she goes from here well enough to say... But I think that this is a moment where she's really allowed to shine and it's not and it's near the midpoint of the series. Um, and um, I wonder if here the one thing I'll say is it's not the culmination of her arc. I, I wouldn't say culmination in any way. I would say it's her. This is I would say this is the point where she has really, truly pulled herself I don't want to say back together because that sounds condescending, but I can't think of a better phrase for it. She's I know the other part way, you're thinking about now. She's found some way to deal with things. Yes. She's, she's found a way to, to, to cope with and move on from every, or at least slightly move on and try to not just with, with Anakin and everything else. She's, she's found like some kind of truce with herself. If temporary, if not always great, but she's like kind of, found some way to live with it i think a truce is a good way to say that yeah i agree i agree 
Do you think she'll come tell us a bedtime story? I, I hope bet it'll so. Be a really darn good one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anything else you want to say about Coruscant, or do we can we move on to Han and Leia? That's all I have. Uh, yeah, all I can think of for now. Okay. So, I don't know why this was the first thing I wrote down, but it was. But they, so they end up going to that one planet, uh, and they have to deal with Adith, who I think was another. She was another senator. And I just could not get the comparison between her and then Senator Carice from Bloodline out of my head and how Leia handles her political opponents and how they when they cross her. Mm. Because... Oh. <laughs> mm. As I was reading this book, my first thought was, does everyone seriously forget that Leia is Vader's daughter? Does <laughs> well, everyone Carice forget didn't every know. time? <laughs> Yes, well, they for all everyone do. everyone who does know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that she just, you know, like she gives you a chance to do the right thing. And then when you don't, we're done now. <laughs> Let's you you did this actually and then Adith really just does it to herself because they give her just enough information to make her think Han is there and it's not Han, it's a reporter. <laughs> I feel like you literally did this to yourself and Leia just sort of opened the door for you and it's it's very beautiful, very deft maneuvering. Um, let's see what else. Oh, uh, R2's rescue mission. <laughs> I love that R2 is <laughs> a heroic arc in this and he is done with 3PO. Just, 3PO needs to just do what he says or else. <laughs> uh, yes, hi. I have a bag full of breakfast. Yes, breakfast totally looks like weapons. It's normal for Corellians. <laughs> Everyone believes it. That's I was a little shocked that that worked. <laughs> there were no vegetables because you know Corellians don't eat their vegetables. <laughs> I love it. It is one of those things that's so outlandish that I can kind of believe it because it's just too ridiculous. No, the closest thing a Corellian has to a vegetable is for fermenting. Well, that's where whiskey comes from, after all accounts. Yes. Yep. Oh, man. Uh, and the other thing I want to talk about as far as Han and Leia go was how they're setting up the resistance cells and sort of compare that between uh, this book. And I think I wrote the same thing twice in that note right there. But between Legends and Canon, because Leia is great at starting resistances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that reminded me very much of her conversation with Poe in, um, I think it was in Before the Awakening, where she is kind of quietly setting up resources for these small groups. Yeah, I liked I liked Han's sort of big moment in the early half of the book where that one general is like, oh, well, we can give you this stuff. And Han's like, make it more. And because he has that brilliant idea of what to do with these waterships. I was like, Han, good job. I'm really proud of you right now. Yes. I also love their comment about coming over to the scoundrel side of the force. <laughs> Leia in her disguise. Oh. <laughs> I mean, Leia could have made a nice scoundrel in another universe. Oh, yes. I forgot how often they do the whole, we're going to play dress up and pretend yes. we're not some of the most famous faces in the entire galaxy. <laughs> I love how Han and Leia probably have the best collection of dress-up clothes in the entire galaxy, and some of them are probably pretty scandalous or outrageous, and, oh no, somehow I'm imagining 
various acquaintances of theirs coming upon some of the dress-up clothes and just wondering, do we even want to know why you own this? <laughs> Lando walks in and goes, what did you do to my capes? And Honda says, we repurposed them. They were great fabric. We just had to find another use. Oh, poor Lando. I have all of these really silly mental images right now. So they just share them. them into wings to make us look like aliens. <laughs> yup. Yep, I also have at least one mental image of, like, a toga made out of a whole bunch of capes. <laughs> Poor oh, Lando. <laughs> oh, boy. Did either one of you have anything else you wanted to add about Han and Leia, or... I feel like one of you was talking about them earlier, and I can't remember what about. About how adorable they are as a couple. <laughs> yes, that was it. They... They mesh so well together, and, like, everyone notices by the end of the book that they've kind of sorted themselves out, and they're happy and back together, and all of their snark and cuteness and working with each other is like, look, this is why these two are still married. <laughs> it's the so only me. The only other thing that I have to say about that section is that there was a mention of clothes they were wearing that were, quote any laborer might wear and it reminds me now of those costumes from galaxy's edge that like the staff members wear because they're like they were going for like generic star wars costume oh huh i can see that i like that that's my new head i headcanon accepted thank you megan all right speaking of solos uh, meanwhile, the sort of only other one remaining in the galaxy right now, more or less, is Jaina, who has a much smaller role in this book than I think she did in the previous one. She's still doing the goddess ploy. Do you guys like Jaina Jag anymore as he loosens up? Uh... Yes, but only in that it's become less irritating, not that I suddenly have a great fondness for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to not say anything spoilery, and I'm again doing the frustrated dance there, but I think I like them a lot more in this duology than, than I will elaborate on when we get to the spoiler episode. That's the best way I have of putting it. We're doing also, another spoiler episode? We're going to Apparently. have to, okay, because... <laughs> when are we doing this, Rocky? You're messing with my schedule. I don't know. At some point in the future. Okay. <laughs> At some point when you guys get tired of reminding me that we're trying to be spoiler-free. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, somewhere in the future we've got a whole bunch of other stuff. Whatever. But I also did think the moment where they're sitting on a rooftop and they have, like, homebrewed moonshine and I have this image of them drinking out of either like the red solo cups eh, no pun intended there or like coffee mugs or something else that's like sketchy teenager party because they are both so young and that is so stereotypically being that age with some questionable quality booze but they're so young and so old for their age at the same time Mm. I get it a little bit better as a short-term fling in war in which they make sense to each other, but eh. 
Their behavior is so different between this book and the previous one, too. I feel like very quickly they went from really being unable to communicate in any meaningful way such that the very lack of communication was, like, what created some of the tension between them to now communicating perfectly and also being able to patch everything up with Kip. Not to say that I feel like that necessarily happened too quickly or that that itself is a flaw of the structure, just that it almost seems like two entirely different relationships and I just can't get from point A to point B. I would need to, like, concoct some headcanon in there to do that. And... That's, that's perfectly... what fanfic is for? Yeah, yeah, that's a perfectly valid way to, like, associate with the <laughs> well text. Then. I'm just not do- doing yeah. it myself. <laughs> I think part yeah. of it is that, again, these books are relatively smaller. Well, not too, too small, but, like, they're not the they're not star-by-star sized. And there's a lot going on. So there if we've so got three major sections, I, I put Jaina by herself because she's special and a goddess, and goddesses mm-hmm. should get their own section. But to me, that, I don't know. But I... So I really like that Kip, Jaina, and Jag conversation with horrible alcohol on the rooftop. Yes. <laughs> um, I call it the partners, whatever that means conversation, because Jaina has that really good monologue about, she's like, it's uncomfortable because partnerships are uncomfortable. Families are uncomfortable. And then going on about just differentiating that there's, relationships don't have to mean just one thing mm-hmm. and how you know they're not boyfriend and girlfriend master and apprentice thing which is like a fling but neither of them really knows what the right <laughs> what the right term is yeah that so is I, a quasi platonic fling is a good way to describe it i think yeah yeah but yeah. she has the whole you know like so we're partners whatever that means are you cool with that, or do you want to just go off and die alone? <laughs> Those are your only two options. <laughs> no, it's literally what she said. Yeah, I love it, and I'm just like, cool, because I, I, I don't know. I, I am a sucker for friend, you know, pe- relationships between male and female characters that aren't romantic, but are also still like acknowledged that it's something more than just. A friendship, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it seems like Jaina grew up a ton in between this book and, like, the last couple, and she finally, like, seems to have figured herself out a little bit, and that acknowledgement to Kip that we are not dating, but we are definitely partners, whatever that means. I like, I really like the dynamic between Kip and Jaina and Jag all three of them together mm-hmm. like their friendship whatever it is it works really well and i think part of the reason that conversation does work very well is that they don't deny any aspect of jaina and kip's messy relationship they cover everything they acknowledge everything and bringing that out makes the team stronger and they already had that like the psychic connection they already had the shield trio thing down and now they are also more understanding of each other as people and of what their expectations for each other are when they're not in life or death situations yeah it sort of feels like they've had to do Jaina especially has had to do a lot of things backwards because she's mm. been in a war like you uh, Rocky you mentioned it felt like she grew up a lot 
since yeah. the last oh, book yeah. and since Dark Journey. But in a way, I feel like she sort of she had to. She didn't have a choice. Her brother was dead. Her other brother's missing, presumed dead. Someone tried to make her queen of hapes. Uh, and she had to figure out how to say yeah. no. And now she's having to pretend to be a goddess. She's had so much dumped on her head and she is handling it way better than most people would, at least by now. Yeah, And she's what, 19 at this point, right? I keep thinking she's like 21 by this point, but as we all know, my entire timeline for this series is really screwed up. Hold on. Yeah, it says at the very beginning that she's 20, almost 20, something like that. And I have a note somewhere in all of my notes being like, this makes no sense. I could have sworn she was at least 21 by now, yeah. but... Not yet, 20 years of age. Yeah, so she's 19. Wow. I really feel like the timeline in these books just messes with me a lot because I keep thinking way more time has passed again. <laughs> the entire series is five years. And she's 16 at the start. Wow. Oh, yeah. But yeah, no, like I'm just I'm a sucker for that conversation. And I find I find that the older I get, the more I appreciate it on a different and a deeper level. Um, Because in middle school and high school, I definitely was like, did not get it, if that makes sense. But yeah. OK, I'll free you guys from the Jana Jag talk. I promise. <laughs> Oh, don't worry. We'll end up coming back to it later because there was that one moment where Sean Kerr, the other chess pilot, was chatting with Jag. And I'm like, I'm not going to go off on my rant now about how that was my Jag ship and still is. <laughs> <laughs> I am not going to go off on that rant. Ask me about that in the Force Heretic series. <laughs> I mean, okay, we'll ask you about that later. Yes. Um, should we go on to fun times with pilots in which we say Wes Jansen? I swear to God, you are like 45, 50 years old. You should be over the whole flirting with pilots. You don't know who they are, especially when you find out that they're Jaina Solo, who is, quote unquote, a nine-year-old. <laughs> and, oh, maybe I should just go throw myself on her lightsaber. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I love that, like, Tycho and Wedge know exactly what he's about to do. And they just they just let him. <laughs> Yeah, they let like, that happen. <laughs> yeah, because Tycho is like, I think they describe Tycho as like uncharacter- uncharacteristically grinning as he we- leads Wedge or West into Wedge's office. I cannot speak anymore. Holy crap. Um, and speaking of Wedge Antilles, the man <laughs> wins even if he loses. Um, I wanted to talk about how I guess back when this book was coming out, a lot of people thought he was going to die. For some reason, I can see that. I can totally see that with the way the end of the book played out. Well, even before the fake out, like apparently there was a lot of speculation because he was on the cover of the previous book. They were like, oh, well, this would be a great ending for, you know, if Wedge is going to go out, he'll go out like a boss. And then the fake out happens. So, Megan, do you want to expand on that? Sure. The not it's not specifically about the fake out, but Wedge's like near miss and the fact that no one knew it was him and that X-wing was one of my favorite parts of this book because um I really liked the way he was characterized right from the beginning when uh he's the he's supposedly the last one on the base. Really like his pilot is there like who was going to pilot his shuttle is there and there's a downed ship, but he thinks he's the last one. And it's described as oddly unsettling. And I'm like, 
Wedge, of course it's unsettling to be the last human on an occupied planet. You're just an adrenaline junkie and forgot what fear is. <laughs> yes! <laughs> the, 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 that phrase just, that made me laugh a lot. And also the dialogue when he's rescued, when they don't know who he is and they think he's being insubordinate. And this moment of realization was some of the funniest dialogue, I thought. I was laughing so much at that. <laughs> yeah, that made me smile. I, there were that and like... There was a, an earlier thing that just made me laugh alone in my office. <laughs> That's Woman a typical Alston. <laughs> I just, I love that it happens to Gavin Darklighter, though. Like, who I always yes. think of being little Gavin Darklighter, who's not little Gavin Darklighter anymore. Isn't he like nine years old? <laughs> He's like 12 now. He's up to 12. But okay. yeah. Um, <laughs> And he's rogue leader, and, you know, he tries to be all, that's sir. <laughs> and then you just hear yes. Witch cackling. <laughs> it's great. Oh. Yeah. Um, I'm and very glad you lived, though. Every once in a while, you remember that Wedge was at two Death Stars, and that he's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he's going to be okay. Well, now I'm nervous about, like... If he ever comes back into canon, poor Wedge. Oh my gosh, that'll be an exciting day for so many reasons. Yeah, you'll just hear a whole section of fandom just, like, cry. If he hears <laughs> anything, we'll just be sobbing gross, disgusting tears of, It's our boy, look at him, I'm so proud. It's, yes. the, it's the Mushu gif rising to life out of the fire, going, I'm alive! Yes! <laughs> but actually, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Uh, so how about good old what's his face, Professor Law? Yes, yeah. <laughs> his name we couldn't decide how to pronounce last time. Um, <laughs> we still can't decide how to pronounce. <laughs> Whatever. He was definitely like very. It was very vivid to picture kind of his expressions during the slow realization of what the Lusankia was doing, and then Rocky. It sounds like you liked some of his dialogue, also. Yes, like I would totally read a whatever you say it backstory for him because oh my gosh, like put it on the chart. Put it on the chart. <laughs> Yushanbong pronunciation contest. One more. <laughs> Like, I would totally read that backstory, add that one to the chart, definitely. The description of his Fondue crab armor that actually helps him move and, like, accounts for being really old and um, probably having all sorts of terrible old injuries that just did not heal nicely. And your armor is actually making up for that a little bit. That's, I loved that description. Absolutely loved it. And, of course, naming a stupid subordinate Oogleth Masker. <laughs> yes. I love his sass. I love his attitude. And it's just like, well, after that, oh, so you know a little... I feel like Savang Law makes almost a little bit more sense after meeting his father. Just like, oh, huh. <laughs> but he will still never grow up to have that level of snark and sass, I don't think. Yeah. I love his final, his ending, where he's like, when he calls his son, and he's like, know that my last words are reserved for you. And then he just refuses to speak again to anyone else yes. because he didn't want to cheapen it. And I was like, 
damn. You gotta yes. admire that a little bit. And also, like, and also just how he tells his son, oh, by the way, um, we won and we lost. <laughs> All of that phrasing, it's, it's so well done. It really is. With and the then that's exactly space. reversed of wedges. We lost and we won. Yep. yep. Wow, I have somewhere in my notes, abandoned world ship. <laughs> I have the best notes ever for this, apparently. <laughs> I'm just picturing that part from Pirates of the Caribbean from the first movie where they're in the little rowboat and they see the ship coming towards them and the one guy's like, abandoned ship! And they all just jump. <laughs> I should stop apologizing for being a Yusun Vong apologist because it's what I am, I guess. But I did kind of <laughs> feel bad for, like, there are civilians on that world ship, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then... Megan, I feel like you probably have the most feelings related to Tam. Or most thoughts. Excuse me. Well, I, um, not too many strong feelings about his arc. Like, I thought it was fine. It was kind of cool to be get the point of view of somebody who isn't a Jedi or a soldier. He's just a guy with a job that got roped into all of this. Um, mostly I was, uh, kind of attracted to this plot point because... He's given an implant that reduces headaches and gives him endorphins to counteract the Yusun Vong implantation. And I just want that for myself. That's all. We can ask Danny to get you one. Or was it Silga? So, I cannot pronounce I it. I think it was Silga. Okay. I cannot pronounce her name. I, I see those letters I. and I look at them and I just sort of make a sound in my mind that sounds like her name and I can't make my... Yeah. Star Wars brain sound is like some kind of brain thing that reduces headaches, sends endorphins. Add me to that list. Does it work on migraines? (laughs) Yeah, that's the question. Yeah, it should. Way to find out. Oh boy. So I I might be doing this. I want to pronounce her name Kilgall, but that doesn't sound like it would be a good name for a medic. Yeah. But so there's a good chance I might be doing this podcast with two years and Vong from now on is what I'm getting out of this. <laughs> um, well, I have some news for you, actually. Oh, are you an Ugwith masker? <laughs> <sighs> That's for me to know and maybe people eventually to find out. <laughs> I liked it better when I was your... I can't remember what the fake word I made up was. <laughs> Um, but anyway, as, as far as Tam goes, I did like that he had that little progression from being the unwilling spy for the Vong to forgiving himself and then adopting Tark, who really just needed something to do aside from being the poor kid who looked like Anakin Solo that Vicky forced into doing things. I was like, I'm glad that there was some resolution for Tark, at least. Mm-hmm. He ended up having that very, um kind of that dream job situation where you just go out and find someone who's looking for an apprentice for a trade and then you become a member of that trade. <laughs> like, that's a decent way to start a career, I guess. Also, there's a war going on, though, so... Yeah, you kind of have to, you know, his, find something to do. His, like, last... That conversation between Tam and... um, I keep thinking of the Resistance character now. Between oh. Tam and Han and Leia was... It was good. It was like a fine wrap up of all that. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. 
Okay. Listener questions? I think we're ready for listener questions. First one is from Nancy. Who had the best reaction to Luke getting naked? Mara, Tahiri, the Wraiths, or me? And by me, I mean Nancy, me, because, yeah. I mean, probably Nancy. (laughs) I have to vote Nancy because I support her her passion about her fandom. So (laughs) I'm going to be petulant and say Mara. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. uh, Odie asked us, where does Rebel Stand rank in your list of favorite Alston books? Um, We'll have a list now. Yeah. <laughs> so I think all of, for me, all of the X-Wing books. So my favorite book of all time is uh, Starfighters of Atomar. Yeah, I feel like that's the winner. <laughs> yeah. and That's then, definitely the winner. And then the other Wraith books are there. And then it's probably the NJO books. And then it's from further in the series. But I feel like I'm also damning this book with faint praise because I do really enjoy it. And it's it's definitely a stand like these two books are a standout for me in the series, like going from those original Edge of Victory books through Traitor is a total high point in the series for me. Mm-hmm. Were you Googling the list, Megan? I was. And uh, I think I just have to concede that this one is outside my area of expertise. Um, I think I liked Rebel Dream a little bit more than Rebel Stand, and I like uh, Mercy Kill a lot, so I'll rank those in that order anyway. Yeah, I have to say Starfighters of Atomar wins my vote for my favorite. I am also not the most qualified to answer this question, but Starfighters of Atomar is just simply hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I-, I have a Wraith problem, it's not my fault. <laughs> Uh, it's Aaron Alston's fault. Talk you out of various <laughs> fandom problems. <laughs> I know, I know. We are basically just a whole bunch of fandom problems all stuffed into Oogleth maskers. So <laughs> that, that's that's bunch true. Of, <laughs> bunch of fandom problems stuffed into Oogleth maskers. That's our new tagline. Yeah, that's also a good tagline. <laughs> but wait, no, hold on, wait. A bunch of fandom feelings stuffed into Oogleth maskers who are very tired and have feelings. Good, good. Or no, wait, I can. I'm going to wordsmith that one better. I'm going to get it. Uh, okay, so Odie also asked us, how would Afra get the Afrin system named after her? <laughs> I think it's similar to kind of Lando's story where it was wagered. She was, she bet against it at some point. She probably didn't actually win, but through a series of like cheating and tricks and plot twists, she ended up with the right to name the system. But would she name it after herself, though, or would she, like, name it after a rival or an ally or something? She would name it after one of those exploding Tuga cats, which is why I think that actually it's because Afra was a disaster and something <laughs> happened where they were like, okay, we're just going to name it after this grand disaster lesbian named Dr. Afra. <laughs> I don't know what, but there was a disaster. I mean, that seems perfectly, perfectly reasonable. Planets get named for notable and remarkable things, so (laughs) makes sense. Maybe if she faked her death and it's named in memoriam, but she's actually still alive. I'm just picturing the meme. I lived. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, 
Aphra. No, I, that's actually no. That's literally her at the end of the Vader series. Wow. Oh, Aphra, I love you. Speaking of which, we have three. Well, two two questions. I'm not really sure how to count this. And a statement from Daniel. So I'm going to go with the statement first. Is he said he just wants to agree uh, that he doesn't ship Jaina and Jag. He loves him some pilots, but those two don't do it for him. So I am outnumbered today. It's okay. I don't necessarily actively ship Jaina and Jag, but they're fun in these books. But I will I will take my outnumbered. <laughs> um, and then he asked, who are the best characters and why is it the Wraiths? Uh, because the Wraith Squadron, obviously. And who is better than Face Lauren and Cal Tainer? Absolutely no one. <laughs> Can we combine our, like collective favorite characters and say would tahiri be named and and uh oh my gosh what's the word honorary? she's not honorary wreath yeah thank you yes Ooh, yeah i feel like she fits in very Ooh. very well i want a fanfic <laughs> Add that i just one requested access list. to the chart I would love to read a fanfic in which tahiri ends up instead of going and doing things with like Luke and Mara and the Jedi, she just goes and becomes a member of Ray Squadron. She and I feel like so her well. life would be happier. That would yes. solve so many problems. Right? Yes, yes. I think that would be absolutely perfect. All right. Someone changed Legends canon. Thank you very much. Uh, and then finally, Daniel asks, and what would you all do in a situation like Wedges? You distrust the advisory council, have considerable influence, and face galactic annihilation. Do you commit treason, have faith in the system, or compromise like Wedge and make a system of insiders? Which was basically treason, but <laughs> we'll go, we'll roll with that. Um, treason, but harder to detect on the first try. Yes. I, I don't think I would ever be in a situation like Wedges. <laughs> Yeah, it's very hard for me to imagine being in this situation because I always figure that, like, I won't be the hero. I'll be, like, the journalist on the side. Um, I would also... I'm generally a, like... I generally do what I'm told, so I don't know that I would have been as um, as independent as Wedge, which turned out to be the better choice. Yes. Wedge Antilles saves the galaxy, even when people don't want him to, and he doesn't need to win battles. <laughs> also very appropriate to Leia and the Resistance in canon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I like that. That's a good thought. Oh my gosh, Wedge and Poe. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I yeah. can imagine how much chaos, shenanigans, and great successes would come out of that. Hmm, I have to think more on that one. Hmm. Yeah, that yeah. would be good. Oh, I mean, man. I <laughs> yeah, I feel like Wedge's response is a very logical one because I have, like, personally, I have this just, like, knee-jerk reaction that when authority tells me this is how something is to be done, I say no. Like, that's my instinct every single time. Doesn't yeah. matter if it turns out to be correct like my instinct is must question everything because quite frequently it is uh following instructions is not my best bet ultimately and sometimes it's easier to seek forgiveness than ask permission so i think i'd go that route however i would like to never find out <laughs> i figured it out i would not be wedge i would be Tycho. Hmm. i'd be the person who's like uh 
I'm very good at being the uh, the EXO sort of person, the supporting. Oh, we're going to do a little bit of light treason. Just kick me in the shin and I'll start working on this. And then I'll yep. refuse to take command when they try to make me take command. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am a substantially better minion in chief than anything else because somebody has to vaguely stay organized and deliberately look for all the loopholes to exploit. Loophole. They're the See, best. I'd, I'd be uh, Tam and Tark. I'd be the person with the camera. So... Yeah. Yep. Well, as Wollum Sarah puts it, somebody has to be recording history. History is still going on, even if the entire galaxy might be coming to an end. Yep. It's I'll very do true. That. Yep. All right. We all have our roles. Excellent. Uh, so I was very shocked to see that none of our counters went up this time. No. Like, no Jedi died. Han and Leia ditched the Nagri. <laughs> yeah, Lord Nyx yeah. doesn't count as a Jedi death. Yeah, and no. we totally lost count of any Kips a Jerk references way before Dark Journey. I don't know who wrote after, but it was way before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Might have been me. However, in uh, my in the next note, the amount of fanfic ideas suggested, uh, bless one of our listeners who is the best person on the face of the planet. Odie actually went back and re-listened to all of our episodes and wrote down all of our fanfic and art and just general musing ideas and put them in a spreadsheet. And it is the best thing ever. So thank you for doing that. Yes, Yes. this is the chart that I have been referring to. It has brought me so much joy. I have smiled so much because of it. Thank you, Odie. This is a delightful little like piece of nerdery that will be very helpful. I'm not sure how it will be helpful, other than just to my soul, but it will be helpful. It <laughs> is be. really entertaining, and right now I am wishing I could draw well enough to get Vergere and Naminor in that get-along shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I also, I totally forgot that I apparently said, rewrite the Lonely Philosopher's Soul lyrics from Les Mis using Jason's perspective. I forgot I said that. Oh, well then, for next book, I have a feeling that might be very topical. (laughs) True. I I don't care about Jason's Lonely Soul. No, that's a lie. I kind of care. Um, (laughs) In other Odie McOatface news, he also was kind (laughs) enough to leave us a review. This is back in December, but I forgot to put it in the notes uh, until now. We're not going to talk about it. So if you didn't know this, if you leave us a review on iTunes... um, we are both in the main Tashi Station mega feed, and we also took over the Throngcast feed. So I'm going to read his review, because it's lovely. Because we are a living planet of a podcast that is a five-star podcast. So, says, in its original form of Throngcast, this podcast was a great bridge between the Legends and Canon universes via the common thread of Thrawn. Now, after being world-shaped into Vongcast... Bria, Rocky, and Megan dive head and heart first into the New Jedi Order, tapping into both vast reserves of knowledge about legends and deep wells of personal feelings about their time reading these books. It's this double whammy of information and passion that makes Vonkast such a compelling listen. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in the NJO, or are even just curious about that behemoth of a book series, take it from three fans who were there and are total fountains of facts and feels. This is so sweet and so well-worded, and I really appreciate it. Ode, we love you, and we love your corgi. Yes. Yes. I hope that the issues affected, the issues raised in the New Jedi Order 
concerns things such as growing up as an angsty teen more so than being part of a galactic war. But it is all very true and accurate. Look, if your issues have something to do with being part of a galactic war, your problems are probably a little bit above our capability to handle. But we offer moral support and occasional funny mental images and entertainment. (laughs) Like five (laughs) cilias. We'll always have five cilia. (laughs) Image of Berger walking by munching on food from a five cilia bag. (laughs) Yeah. But thank you, Odie. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. (laughs) You're our favorite. Okay. And unless anyone has any last thoughts, I think that just about wraps it up. So where can people find you on social media? Megan, you get to go first. You can find me at blog full of words on Twitter. That's my hub for all of my content, which you can find on Den of Geek, StarWars.com, and Star Wars Insider. Rocky. Well, I am on Twitter as Lady Darth Kytus. There was a time when I had written for 1138. I am on hiatus. At some point, I may pick it back up again. And I have also appeared on the Of Dice and Droids podcast, also part of the Tashi Station network. Okay. And then you can find me on Twitter at Chaos Bria. Uh, I am also writing over on Tashi Station, and I run the Geek Fashion blog, White Hot Room. And you can see some of my writings in uh, on both StarWars.com and occasionally in the back of a Marvel comic now. So that's pretty cool. And with that... It's another end of another episode of the Vaughncast. This podcast is distributed as part of the Tashi Station Network. This podcast has been brought to you in part by our, your support on Patreon. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the Tashi Station Mega Feed. I don't usually do this part, do I? Or do I? You I can must. do it. You've got this. <laughs> I whoever was hosting did it. <laughs> is it? I forget. <laughs> I'm tired and have feelings. <laughs> you can subscribe to the Tashi Station Radio Mega Feed or to the Throncast feed on iTunes for more episodes. Join us next time when we read Traitor by Matthew Stober. You have been warned that it'll be a long and fascinating episode. You can read and tweet along with us by using the hashtag Voncast. Thanks for listening and yup yup, Commander. Yup yup.